0: The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The Gospel according to Gabriel, part one. Let's pray. Oh God, what's in this story for us third millennials? What would the angel bring to us? Make it clear, dear God. If there's something we haven't been asking for that you wish we would, please make it clear. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So a little girl is going home from church just like today. She's in the backseat of the car with her mommy and daddy. She's trying to recall what was that song that she loved that they sang in church. She's pondering. She's thinking. Finally, she, she taps Mommy and Daddy on the shoulders, and she said, hey, listen. She said, Mommy and Daddy, what was that song? I'm trying to remember the tune. What was that song? They said, wait, what? you mean the one we sang today? Yeah, the one we sang today. Well, how did it go? She said, well, it's the one that goes, trust and okay, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and okay. I love that one. You ever sung that one? I bet you've never sung it in your life. Sing it with me. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now, I understand the hymn writer meant trust and obey. But I kind of like that little girl's version because you know why? It is spot on the gospel according to Gabriel. Open your Bible with me to that great story that I read in your hearing just a moment ago, the Gospel of St. Luke, Chapter 1. Open your Bible to Luke, please. Luke, Chapter 1. You didn't bring a Bible? Oh, boy, grab the uh, Pew Bible in front of you. Follow along. This is one story you want to track, one narrative worth tracking. Page 688 in the Pew Bible. So I'm in the New International Version. I'm in the New International Version that just came out in March, brand new edition. This is called the 2011 Update. You'll see why I'm in it in just a moment. The Pew Bible is the New King James. Nothing wrong with that. Pull that out. Follow along. Whatever translation you brought is fine with me. Let's begin. Luke chapter 1. The story begins, verse 26, verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, hit the pause button right there because I need to remind you, this is the same, this is the same Gabriel you and I were focused on the last time we were together. Can you believe it? Three Sabbaths ago. What was it? Easter Sabbath, the last Sabbath of the school year. This is the same Gabriel. You remember the one, the angel that came down like a meteor with a sonic boom? You ever heard of sonic boom? You know how you get a sonic boom, don't you? When you fly faster than the speed of sound. Boom! Explosion of white light. Massive earthquake. Towering angel comes up to that stone in front of. Jesus' garden tomb and just poing, boing, 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 like pebbles. Roman guard, fall dead. This, kind of like that. This is the same Gabriel. Same one. Now, I need to... uh, There's there's one other little snapshot we've got to stick in right here. And it happens six months earlier than this story. So just turn the page back towards Luke, the beginning of Luke. Just turn back one page if you have to. And by the way, fascinating narrative right here. We'll share this one next Sabbath, you and me together. But this is verse 19. This is Gabriel appearing to the elderly Levite priest named Zechariah. Okay, so he's now appearing to Zechariah. And he says to Zechariah, this is verse 19, the angel, that would be Gabriel, said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Mark it, ladies and gentlemen, right here at the outset of this little mini-series. He is the angel of good news. He always shows up when the news is bad, but he always brings news that's good. It's, It's the gospel. The gospel according to Gabriel. We've got it right here. I'm the angel that brings good news. I bring the gospel. Now, we haven't even started the story yet, but I wish you'd take out the canvas of today's study guide. Pull the study guide right out of your worship bulletin. Let's start painting a picture of Gabriel. We'll call them the FAQ of Gabriel, the Frequently Asked Questions of Gabriel. Pull out your study guide. Did you you not get a study guide? Put your hand up. Come on, ushers, let's do this. Let's make sure everybody here gets a study guide for today's teaching. Hold your hand up, balcony here, wherever. Glad you're here. Hold your hand up. We'll get that to you. And those of you who are watching on television, we're delighted to have you. You're watching on the web right now, live streaming. Glad you're here. You can get the same study guide. Go to our website. Let me put it on the screen for you so you can see it. There it is. You see it on the screen now, www.pmchurch.tv. You go to the website, you're looking for this new miniseries, The Gospel According to Gabriel. This is part one. When you see part one there, it'll say, it'll say study guide. Click on study guide, you'll have the same study guide we have right here. Frequently asked questions. You see that on the internet all the time. FAQ. Okay, what are the FAQs about Gabriel? Let's go. Jot them down. Frequently asked question number one, what is his name? What's it mean? Would you jot it down, please? The name means strong man of God. All right? So just jot that down. Strong man of God. The Hebrew, Geber, that means man, but it implies a strong man. And El, that's the name for God. Geber El, Gabriel. That's how we get Gabriel. All right? So it means strong man of God. FAQ number one. F-A-Q number two, jot it down please, position. What's his position? We just heard him say to Zacharias, so you can, go ahead and, you can go ahead and jot it down, I stand in the presence of God. That's his position. I stand in the presence of God. But you say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait wait, wait, wait. What, what does that mean? Ah, the Bible doesn't leave us guessing for long. Let me just run some text by you so fast we don't have time to look them up. I'm going to shoot them on the screen very quick. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 28. Verse 14, speaking of a certain angel. Here we go. Verse 14, you were anointed as a guardian cherub. You see, the cherubim, that's an order of angels. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. That's the throne of God in the universe. You walked among the fiery stones. Now, listen, anytime God shows up in the Old Testament, anytime... It's always demonstrated by the, by the presence of fire. Moses sees a bush, and what's happening to the bush? Physical presence of God. It's on fire. Okay. So, would you fill this in? Let's put it on the screen. Fill it in, please. Ezekiel twenty eight fourteen, A guardian cherub is one who stands on the holy mount of God among the fiery stones, meaning in the very physical presence of God. How close does this angel, does the guardian angel, this guardian cherub, how close does that angel stand to God? Exodus, let's put it up. Exodus chapter 25, verse 22. Remember Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that that golden ark, okay? This is the golden ark now. God is speaking about the golden ark. That's not an invention of Hollywood. That's God's invention. He's describing the golden ark right here to Moses. And there, Moses, I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. From between. Whoa! The mercy seat is the symbol of God's throne from between the two cherubim which are on the Ark of the Testimony. And I'm going to not read the rest of it. He says, I'm going to meet you, that symbol of my throne, two guardian cherubs right beside me. So who is this Gabriel who says, I stand in the presence of God? He must be one of those two guardian cherubs, cherubim. We've got to find out about that guardian cherubim, a cherub that's mentioned in Ezekiel 28. So let's go back to, oh yeah, go ahead and fill this out first. Exodus 25, 22, the mercy seat is God's throne. God says, that's where I sit. That's my throne. I will meet you there. Two angels right beside me, just like it is in heaven. We know it's just like it is in heaven because of Ezekiel 28. Now let's go back to Ezekiel 28. Let's find out who this guardian cherub is that God's talking to and describing in Ezekiel 28. Ah. Oh. You, guardian cherub, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, because all angels are created, till wickedness was found in you. Keep going. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. Keep reading. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. You're out of the throne room. I drove you out of the mount of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. No more in my physical presence. Whoa. Who is that? Oh, we know. Jot it down, will you please? Lucifer was one of the two guardian cherubim. Look at Isaiah 14. That's clear. Lucifer was one of the two. In fact, he was the number one of the two. But, keep your pen moving, because of Gabriel's role in sacred history, biblical history, as the divine emissary to earth, he always comes as an ambassador from God. Because of that role, it is clear he replaced... Write that word in. It's a key word. He replaced the fallen Lucifer. Ah, his name means strong man of God. His position, I am the number one created being in the universe, right next to God. In fact, number three, his rank, jot it down, next to Christ. Next to Christ. That's his rank in heaven. He's the top of all the angels. Next to Christ. There are a couple of references there. I don't even, let's, let's just look up the Revelation 1.1 1, 1 reference. You remember how the apocalypse begins, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show His servants what must soon take place. He made it known, Jesus did, by sending His what? He has His own angel. He sent His angel to His servant John. You say, yeah, but right, that doesn't say anything about Gabriel. And you're right. Not a word about Gabriel's name in Revelation. But how do we know? Simple. Because Gabriel is the name, and he's named in the book of Daniel. He is the angel sent to Daniel. Apocalyptic book. And interestingly enough, the amazing similarity between the prophecies in Daniel and Revelation would lead us, and this would be clear logic, would lead us to conclude that the angel that went to Daniel with those same prophecies and later comes to John with the same amazingly similar prophecies would be the same angel. Yeah. He's the angel. He's Christ's personal angel. In fact, if you look at Daniel 10.13, which we're not looking up, One time, listen, we'll get to this, the last piece in this little mini-series, Gabriel was hand-to-hand combat with the fallen Lucifer. He could not fan Lucifer off. And Michael, who is superior to Gabriel, shows up, boom, takes over. Gabriel is freed. Gabriel is next to Christ. You've got that down. And finally, final FAQ, incarnation assignment, Jesus, personal, guardian, angel. Jot that down, please. In fact, in the mini-series we did on angels a year ago, we noted the circumstantial biblical evidence that the incarnate Christ had two guardian angels who protected Him during His sojourn from heaven on this planet. Two guardian angels. Matthew and Mark both tell us that after that hand-to-hand combat, that grueling, bitter face-off with Lucifer, the fallen Satan in the wilderness temptations... Both Matthew and Mark tell us that angels, plural, angels came and ministered to Christ after that that draining, hand-to-hand, head-to-head, angels. That's why at Jesus' garden tomb, two angels. That's why when Jesus ascends to heaven, two men in white, two angels. That's why, by the way, Dr. Luke's the only one to mention this. When Jesus is in the throes of, of the dark Gethsemane Struggle, one of those two angels shows up. You remember when he's sweating drops of blood? Only Luke tells us that that angel showed up. And by the way, Luke is the only gospel writer that names Gabriel at all. That was Gabriel. That was Gabriel in Gethsemane. Whole cradling the head of his commander. You must go through Calvary. You must go to the cross. If you don't, Master, if you don't go to the cross, we will lose the entire human race. You must go. All of heaven is on your side. You can do it. Trust the Father. Go. Cradling the head of his king in disguise. Yep, that's Gabriel. So there they are, ladies and gentlemen. It's very logical. The two guardian cherubs by his throne would be the ones to accompany him all through this life. Okay, those are the FAQs of Gabriel. So you can see, by the way, Gabriel has a very vested interest in this story with Mary because she is going to be carrying his king right here in her little teenage womb. He's very concerned that this pulls off okay. That's why Gabriel is sent, the number one created being in the universe. Let's go now. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. A town in Galilee, verse 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, verse 28, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Have you ever been alone in the house if you share the house with somebody? Have you ever been alone in the house when the person you shared a house with unexpectedly shows up behind you or right beside you when your mind is totally on something else? What is your physical reaction? I mean, what happens to you? Your heart just leaps. And if you're Karen, you scream. Well, who are you, you stranger in my house? It's just me. So you can understand Mary's fear. Suddenly a man standing beside her. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled. Oh, boy, I'd be troubled too. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Gabriel's favorite line. He'll tell it to the shepherds out in Bethlehem's hillside. He said it to the women at the tomb. He said it to Zachariah six months earlier. It's, just his, it's his favorite line. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, ah, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Why, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then shh, gone. Back to heaven. The last words of Gabriel. Did you catch those, verse thirty seven? For no word from God will ever fail. And some of you are looking at your translation. All of you are looking at your translation. And you're saying, boy, that's not the way mine reads. You're right. This is new. This is the new NIV. Accurate to the Greek. Accurate to the Greek. In fact, let's put both renditions. The, the new NIV, put it on the screen, for no word from God will ever fail. I want you to keep on to have that. So you just jot it down in your study guide, then you'll have this rendition. For no word from God will ever fail. That was the NIV. Now we'll go to the, the uh, New King James, which represents... By the way, all the other translations. For with God nothing. Go ahead and fill that one in. For with God nothing. Nothing will be impossible. Both renditions accurately translate the Greek. Watch this. I'll put the literal Greek. Now, this is the literal Greek on the screen. For not will be unable from God every word. When you read the original languages, that's what you read. When you translate them into English, that's it. But they are double negatives there, so let's, let's just turn it around a bit. We'll render it again. For every word from God will not be unable or will not be impossible. The word not is a negative, and un or im is a negative as well. So now let's put it so that we The negatives cancel each other out, so now let's put it in the positive. For every word, this is exactly how the Greek reads, for every word from God will be able, will be possible. And wouldn't you know it, Gabriel's words are almost a direct quotation from that famous story. You and I have shared this story multiple times because it's one of my favorites. And you know the one I'm talking about where Abraham is sitting trying to lower the heat index, fanning himself in the shade of his tent when he spots three strangers just a stone's throw away. You remember that? Three mantled strangers. Remember that story? Oriental hospitality. He races. out. Please don't. Don't. Go by. Come in. Cool, refreshing Drink. Lovely delectable repast. Then we'll send you on your way. So he talks the three into coming into his tent. Now the shadows are darker. They sit with him, the three strangers and the host. Remember that story? Now, this is what struck me this week. I never never realized this before. We know who one of the strangers is because he does all the talking. And he's the Lord. Isn't that right? Moses tells us he's the Lord. Abraham will barter with him for Sodom in a few moments, Right? The other two we also know are angels because it says, and the two angels left dinner and went to Sodom. So we know they're angels. Now, wait a minute. You have the commander of the universe, and he has two angels with him. I wonder who those two angels would be. Could it be he was sitting on his throne and said, hey, guys, I need to go down and see Abraham. You two want to come with me? Let's go. We've got work to do. Sodom is a mess. Boom! They're on the planet. Mantled strangers. The eternal God. And two of his guardian, the only two guardian cherubs, cherubim he has. So, that means Gabriel is one of the two. He heard what the Lord said to Abraham. And that's why he quotes it. Remember, God is eating over, what was it, cottage cheese and mutton. So, he's eating over the dinner. And he looks up and he says, oh, by the way, Abraham, I need to tell you this. Your wife is going to have a baby a baby boy this time next year. Sarah, of course, behind the tent flap over tent flap overhears it and what does she do? Snickers. God chides her for snickering. And then God speaks these words from the Septuagint. Now the Greek Old Testament, the direct words that Gabriel now quotes to Mary. I'll put them on the screen. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, is anything too hard? For the Lord. Only when Gabriel speaks them now, he doesn't ask it as a question. He makes it as a statement. For nothing will be impossible with God. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary. Two people having to do with the birth. Unexpected birth for both of them of two sons. Same angel. Amazing. The gospel according to Gabriel. What is it? Read verse 37 again. For no word from God will ever fail. What's the point? Ah, Here's the point. God's word will never fail you. I don't know what word God has spoken to you. Do you get words from God? When you read the Bible, does the Bible come alive to you? And do you once in a while hear him say something to you like, I'm speaking to you now? Does that happen? Of course it does. I don't know what word God has given to you, but here's the good news from Gabriel that I need to pass on to you. Whatever that word has been, it will never fail. Do you understand? It will never fail. The angel promises us. So I I need to hear from a prophet. Are Are you crazy? The angel is better than a prophet any day of the week. He has the mind of God because he stands in the presence of God. No word from God will ever fail. Gabriel speaks to Mary. Trust me, this is going to happen. What has God said to you that you need to trust Him about? Gabriel looks at you and he says, hey, trust and okay. That's what he's saying. Trust and okay. You trust God and it will be okay. Pastor Esther last week, you heard a sermon. She talked about people who have... She brought up this promise, that this, this phenomenal promise that God makes that people have a very hard time... Wrapping their minds around and saying, I'm not sure I believe this promise. I'm really not sure I believe this promise. I can understand why we'd be a little bit hesitant. Let me put the promise back up on the screen for you. Malachi chapter 3. Let's put verse 10 up there. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And test me. I want you to check me out, God says. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. Keep going. And see if I will not throw open, I love the NIV here, I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and I will pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'm going to open the windows of heaven for you. Trust me. God says, hey, listen, would you make me your CFO? You know what a CFO is? Chief Financial Officer. Would you make me the CFO in your life venture, your enterprise? Make me the CFO. Trust me Dwight. Trust me and it'll be okay. Trust me. Trust me and I will take care of you. How do I know that you want me to be your CFO? One tenth of what you have. It's mine. The moment you return to me, you're saying I want you for CFO. The moment you return it to me, you're saying I want you for CFO. I'll do it. That's mine. After her sermon last Sabbath, after Esther's sermon last Sabbath, a young adult sitting right here Could be right here, right now. A young adult came up there and said, You know what? When I graduated and got into my career, the first year out, I said, I just, I'm not making enough money. I'm just not making enough money. I cannot tithe now. I hope you'll understand. She didn't tithe. She came to the end of that first year and she came under conviction. I need to be, I want God to be my CFO. I've gone a whole year now and made money and not returned any of God's to Him. Here's the deal. God, I'm going to take a few months now and I'm going to return to you every penny that I kept because I said I couldn't survive without it. I want to return it to you. And she did over three years. $4,000 from that first year that she had spent. She returned it to God. When she returned that last remittance back to Him, a few days later, in the mail, unexpected, federal income tax refund, $4,119. Trust and okay. Trust and okay. You trust me, it'll be okay with you. Now listen, I'm not, don't, don't conclude from that testimony that, that, that if you uh, are faithful with God, you'll always get a $4,119 refund at the end of the year. You probably won't. But God says, trust and okay. I will take care of you. You will be okay. My word never fails. You trust me, you'll be fine. Trust and okay. So, what is it in your life where you need to be reminded today? Trust and okay. Something big going on in your life right now? Unsure about the future in your life right now? Not sure how it's all going to shake down in your life right now? God says, listen to me. Listen to me. Trust and okay. I will never fail you. I will never, ever fail you. Not my word to you. Isn't that great? Man, trust and okay. Trust me. How does that verse 37 go? For no word from God will ever fail. Boy, I love that. I like this rendition. I don't mind the one you have on your lap, for nothing will be impossible to God. They're both making the same point. Trust and okay. Trust and okay. So what is the word God has promised you? What is it in my life that I need to be asking God for? One promise that I'm just not serious about yet. You know, as I brooded over this uh, narrative, I came across a promise that was a full. That was a very stark reminder to me. How I need to trust God here as well. Trust and okay, right with this promise. I want, to share, I want to share that promise with you. It's right here, verse 35. This is the angel. This is Gabriel speaking to Mary. Verse 35, and the angel answered, The Holy Spirit. Why did I never see this before? It's been here the whole time. I never saw it. The Holy Spirit. By the way, that's why changing translations sometimes will help you spot what you don't spot because of the same old, same old, same old. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. There's a Holy Spirit promise I've never marked in my Bible before. Boy, i got it marked now. Wow, God, could that be? The Holy Spirit would come on me, and the power of the Most High would overshadow me. Our Board of Elders is meeting right now. I met with them between services. Ron Clouzet is speaking. Just came out with a brand new book. I've got to show it to you. This is a great book. Put it up on the screen so you can see it. This is Ron Clouzet's new book. Just came out a few weeks ago Adventism's Greatest Need The Outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I know about this book. I had to read the manuscript from cover to cover. Because Ron asked me to write the forward. I was honored to write the forward. But having read the book now, it's brand new. How can you read a book that fast? I already had to read it before it got published. I can tell you this is a powerful, powerful biblical study on the Holy Spirit. And what I love about this study is that this is not some pie-in-the-sky theory that some seminary professor, which Ron is, has come up with. This man has been out in the trenches as a pastor. And he tells the stories. He tells the stories. Powerful book. Ron's absolutely right. Adventism's greatest need. This is the greatest need of the community of faith that I belong to. I'll tell you that. Oh, man. I was listening to Ron just a few moments ago over there. And he got up and he says, you know, I'm pulling away from my notes right here at the beginning. And he did. And he, he, said, he said, you know, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for us to sense our need of the mighty third person of the Godhead? Hey, listen, a century ago, listen, a century ago, you have this in your study, guide. put the words on the screen. A century ago, that little classic, Acts of the Apostles, you're going to have to fill this in. The lapse of time has wrought no change in Christ's parting promise to send the Holy Spirit as his representative. It is not because of any restriction on the part of God that the riches of his grace do not flow earthward to men and women. If the fulfillment of the promise is not seen as it might be in your life, Dwight, it is because the promise is not appreciated in your life as it should be. Why aren't you asking me this? Why isn't this a big deal for you? And then this line, fill it in. Oh, if all were what? What's the word? If all were what? Willing. What would happen? All would be what? All would be filled with the Spirit. If all were willing, all would be filled. Wow. Wow. Wherever the need of the Holy Spirit is a matter little thought of, Dwight. That's where you see spiritual drought, spiritual darkness, spiritual declension, spiritual death. Whenever minor matters occupy the attention and you're distracted by this and that and everything else. When those minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the church. And which would bring all other blessings in its train is lacking, though offered in infinite plentitude. This is a bank account that cannot be exhausted. I'll give you everything in our treasury, if you ask. Ron is absolutely right. Our greatest need, as this little community of faith that I belong to on this planet, our greatest need today is for the outpouring and the infilling of the Spirit of Christ, the mighty Holy Spirit. What's it going to take? So last Sabbath, Karen and I were out on the West Coast. We were in Salem, Oregon, the capital of the state, celebrating with the East Salem Church their 50th anniversary. That was the church we were pastoring when God called us from there, 28 years ago, to come here. So it was an honor to be there. In fact, last Sabbath, 28 years ago, last Sabbath, exactly at that moment, we were pre- it, was, it, was, it was our farewell sermon. Which, by the way, means 28 years ago, this very moment. It was our first sermon here. So here, the reason I'm telling you this is because I said to the people who are getting ready to go, go into our Bible teaching last Sabbath, I said, you know what? If 28 years ago on that last Sabbath, if 28 years ago somebody had come and said, hey Dwight, you're going to be back here in 28 years and you're going to celebrate our 50th anniversary with us, do you know what I would have said? I would have said, you are crazy. You are absolutely crazy. I'm not going to be back here in 28 years. We won't even be on this planet in 28 years. Jesus will have come. 28 years later, they're still there. And guess what? 28 years later, we're still here. What's the matter? What is this promise that is offered with infinite plentitude the entire treasury of heaven? I love Ron's positive perspective in this book. You're going to like the book. I put, the, put, put this quotation on this is, this is from his book. put it on the screen for you. The Holy Spirit is still at work in the church. I love this. he's never left us. Hey, look at twenty eight years have gone by. do you think the spirit's left? no he's still He's still here. He never left. isn't that good? The Holy Spirit is still at work in the church. He has never left us. He works today through scores. Oh, I know this to be true. I've seen it in your life. He works today through scores of faithful believers, and He will continue to do so. But He wants to do more. Would you write that in? He wants to do more. I mean, come on, Dwight. Trust me. It's okay. You can trust me. I want to do more. I want to do so much more. You're not even asking me. You're not even asking me for what I can do. You're trying to do it, oh, a little bit of here and a little bit of there. But you're not asking me yet. I have a whole treasury. Trust and okay. Just ask me. He longs to do more. How much more? How much more do you suppose he longs to do? Let me close with a story. From Ron's book. In fact, Ron shared it with us Wednesday night at House of Prayer. The Board of Elders is leading us in a new spring-summer series at House of Prayer based on Ron's book. By the way, I hope you'll come and join us Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock Wednesday evening. Get your own copy. Based on this book, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, right here at the church. Anyway, Ron shared this story. I want to read it to you. It's a story of Gao Tsi, an illiterate man from China. Let me read the story to you. All right, here we go. Incredible story. Listen to this. Gao Hongzi, a laborer who lived in the country, had been baptized. He was a Chinese, became a Christian, became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. He had no family and no education, and not only was he illiterate, he had such a poor memory that he couldn't remember what people had read to him. But Gau loved Jesus, and he longed to share God's love and His Word with other people. If only he could learn to read. Now listen up. One Sabbath, he decided that he would plead with the Lord to do something, anything, so he could share his faith. So he spent hours, that Sabbath, he spent hours praying for the Holy Spirit to empower him. He's in his humble little abode there in China. He spends hours. God, do something. Empower me through your Spirit. Suddenly, now, here, here listen. Suddenly, Gao heard a voice say, Read Psalm 62. He protested that he couldn't read. But the voice came again. It didn't discuss the problem or argue with him. It simply told him again, Read Psalm 62. So Gao took the Bible that someone had given him at his baptism, and he opened it to Psalm 62. And then to his amazement, he found that he was able to read, so he read the whole psalm. Gal couldn't contain his excitement. He ran out of his shack and across the village where he told the church elder, God taught me to read. Then he recited the whole psalm from memory. God had miraculously given him the ability both to read and to memorize. What did Gal do with his new God-given abilities? He proclaimed the love of Jesus to everyone who would listen. He opened the Bible. He read it to others as if each word came from heaven. Because of this common laborer, boldly placing his trust in God's promises, God used him to bring healing and hope to multitudes of people. Listen, hundreds came to the waters of baptism due to his testimony and ministry. A hundred and eighty in the first year after he was baptized alone. Ron gave us more numbers Wednesday night. Hundreds more. He couldn't read. He couldn't memorize. And he said, God... May the power of the Most High overshadow me. Give me your Holy Spirit. I wish I could be like Gal. Don't you? I wish I could be like Gal. God, come into me. Do what you have never been able to do before. I've been content with this tepid pace. What is it you lack? What is it you lack for God's mission? Do you feel you're too timid to talk to others about their salvation? I can't can't bring it up. Are you worried that you don't know enough of the Bible to teach it? Should somebody ask you the Bible? I wouldn't know what to say. Are you afraid of rejection by others or blowing it for God? Convinced you are too much of a sinner? Do you know what has happened in my past? There's no way God could now fill me with his spirit. Is that what's holding you back? Trust and okay. Trust me. Wow. Whatever, the, whatever our limitations, in mind or in reality, I'll tell you what, the promise of Gabriel and the story of Gal, whom see powerfully collaborate to assure us that when it comes to God's promise of the Holy Spirit, trust and okay is the right response. Trust and okay. Ask Him. Ask Him. Ask Him. Don't say, I want to do this so that I can be better being me. No. I want to do this so that I can be better doing you. Trust and okay. Ask Him. Who knows? Now, I need you to listen very carefully here. Who knows? Maybe you're already filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you ever think of that? Didn't we just read it a moment ago? If all were willing, all would be filled with the Spirit. Didn't we just read that line? Yeah. Maybe. Have you ever asked before? Sure you have. Some of you. Maybe you're already filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've got all the gifts you ever will need. You have all the gifts you ever will have. Maybe instead of praying for the Holy Spirit to do something more in your life, maybe maybe the prayer is, Oh, God, Spirit... Give me opportunities now to use what you have already given me. Maybe it's opportunities we need to be asking for. My friend Henry Davis. You know Henry? Yeah, everybody knows Henry in this church. Out of the blue, just a few days ago. I know, he's been keeping me posted. Out of the blue, Henry Davis got an invitation to stand before his service club. Okay, so he's a businessman. He got an invitation to stand before his service club and here's what they asked him. Can you believe this? They came to Henry Davis and they said, we want you to give a speech to the entire club and what we want you to speak on is why I am a Seventh-day Adventist. Henry told me that when he heard that, his stomach just went, ugh. And I know he started sending emails. Hey, would you do this? Hey, they want you. They want you. They want you. Then Henry realized This is God Himself opening up an opportunity for Henry to exercise what he already is capable of doing. And last week, he stood in front of that room full of professionals, business people. And he gave a speech entitled, Why I Am a Seventh-day Adventist. He sent the speech to me. And I'll tell you what. I don't know a preacher or theologian alive who could have done a better job with what Henry Davis did. I'm so proud of him. What's up with all this? It's the gospel according to Gabriel. That's what. Trust and okay. Trust me, you'll be okay. I'll open the door. Don't hesitate. Go through the door. Go through the door. I've given you that. Listen. If an illiterate Chinese Chinese peasant and an anxious American businessman can be possessed by the mighty third person of the Godhead and experience the results they already have, give me one excuse you have not to trust, not to ask, not to be filled with that same spirit. Give me the excuse you have. There is no excuse that will stand up. The gospel according to Gabriel, for not one word from God will ever fail. Trust and okay. Maybe it's time we started believing the fifth gospel. The gospel of Gabriel. Trust and okay. I want to sing that song with you. We've doctored up the words so you'll get it right. Just two stanzas. We'll put it on the screen for you. Sing your heart out like that little girl in the back seat. Sing your heart out. Trust and okay for there's no other way. Let's stand and let's sing it together. God, give us that trust and it will be okay. You've made full provision. For whatever it is we face right now, privately, you have already made full provision. There is a divine promise whose word will never fail. Holy Father, teach us to trust and it will be okay. And when it comes to your promised gift, oh God, we trust that you will still give it to us, we who have been so timid to ask, like GAO, like GAO, give us that gift, and like Henry, send us out to exercise it for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. And all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.